Super Dave. Jim English in person again. <laughs> Actually, it's remote, but uh, how can you hear me? Everything coming in? You are loud and clear as always, Jim. <laughs> well, this is Jim and the Super Dave Show. And as always, we started off with a tribute to Randy Larson. And we mentioned that Super Dave did not give himself his nickname. It was bequeathed to him from a bunch of live oakers who listen to this podcast. Thank you very much. And we appreciate Super Dave on the show. And as always, let's start it off with a memory or tribute to Randy Larson. Well, since we mentioned the Dave name, uh, uh, one of our live oak uh, compatriots, one of the one of the better ball players and nicest guys I've ever met, Dave Hellman, was a real close friend of Randy Larson also. And that's when I met Randy, I met, I almost met Dave at the same time. Uh, it was a little bit later, but uh, basically the reason of my nickname, Super Dave, we, we have a email thread that we all join in on and, and Dave, uh, we get the Daves confused. So we distinguished uh, Hondo <laughs> Hellman or Dave Hellman from Super Dave. So but Randy Larson is a mutual friend of yours, Jim, and Dave Hellman and all the Live Oak players because he was uh, a legend not only at Live Oak Park in Manhattan Beach, but throughout the Southland, up and down the coast of California from Sacramento, extending all the way down into Mexico. Uh, and, and a remarkable man. Uh, he passed away two years ago and uh, Jim English came up with the idea to dedicate our podcast here to to Randy and every every single show, Jim, we not only make this tribute to Randy, but we think about Randy and we think about what he meant in our lives and the other people that he's kind of a symbol, Jim, of the people that have passed through our lives. I know I I've had a long career in basketball and I put this in memoriam page together that I sometimes share with people and uh, to to pay tribute to other players and people that I've played on the basketball courts of Southern California with. So I thank you so much for your, your concept with this, Jim. We have a lot of fun on the show. We talk a lot of basketball. We do. And you're right. Randy Larson's uh, legacy extends huge geographically because not only was he a legend in Southern California and in Sacramento, but he was known to frequent the bars and the ladies in Puerto Vallarta, where he owned a condominium. And I know that he used to hang out there a lot and have fun and play golf. And he is well known in that area of Mexico as well, Super Dave. <laughs> well, and he's well known with the ladies up and down the coast and and uh, on into Texas and beyond. <laughs> he is. And, you know, we, we discussed before that he was on the All-Army team. And I think it bears repeating because it shows the turbulence of the time. So Randy tr tries out for a, the uh, All-Army basketball team. And he makes it. And it's either, it was 1966, I believe. And Vietnam was just heating up, so it was either make the team or go to Vietnam. I mean, talk about pressure. So you've got a cushy army job going around from base to base, all over the country, all over the world. Because I know 
He played in Panama on the All-Army team. He played in Japan on the All-Army team. So he was, but he didn't play in Vietnam. So he played all over the place as opposed to going to Vietnam. And this is also indicative of the time, and I've told, told this story before, but Randy felt that there were, there were, there were uh, about, I don't know, 25 to 50 people trying out for this basketball team because it was obviously very popular. And they only allocated two spots to African-Americans. Okay, all the rest of them were white. So if, if he would have been, if they would have allocated it fairly where the best players went as opposed to 12, uh, sorry, 10 white players and two African-Americans, Randy told me he wouldn't have made the team and he would have been Super Dave in some trench in Vietnam. And who knows if he would have made it out of there. So racism actually helped him in the 60s. Well, it's an interesting era uh, in the 60s because uh, I grew up in Inglewood, California. And until 1970, there was like a dividing line throughout the, uh, uh, that area uh, on Western Avenue where the blacks could only be on the east side. And I grew up in a kind of all white community uh, of Inglewood in the mid '60s, and uh, I played a, a, a scrimmage game uh, in high school in 1965, and we went over to Crenshaw High School, and Crenshaw had a couple of superstars named uh, Sam Robinson and Earl Page, and uh, they were incredible players, but they had an incredible amount of, of talent on the team throughout the squad. And I remember on our scrimmage, they ran like 15, 20 guys at us, five at a time. And we were absolutely blown out of the gym, Jim, just in a practice game. And their coach was refing the game, and he'd call uh, nothing on us to foul. And if they got anywhere near us, he'd call a foul on his own players. So he was giving us every benefit of a doubt. And we were still crushed. And what I decided, Jim, at that time, I said, I got to find where these basketball players are because I'm not playing them against, uh, you know, Miracosta and Santa Monica and Beverly Hills, the, those teams I played. You know, I was all Sentinella Valley, but it was a mostly all white leagues that I was playing in. So what I found, Jim, is a gym over on the east side called Sportsman's Park. I'd heard about it. And, and here I'm just, you know, driving in 1966, 67, uh, you know, after high school. Uh, and, and when Randy's playing in the Army, I'm playing, I've decided to go to East Los Angeles. Well, I couldn't get any of my friends to go. And in this Sportsman's Park gym, uh, Jim, uh, I was one of like 120, 140 guys playing. The only white boy. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I never had a problem, Jim. I learned to play a brand of basketball that I couldn't learn any other way. And I would ask my friends to go with me, and they go, where are you going? <laughs> they said, I ain't going over there. I said, there's no problem. And there wasn't any problem, Jim, because I was there to play basketball. And that's the the, the great equalizer in, uh, in our sports histories. Uh, it's wonderful. And, and Randy had that experience in the Army. And, and people don't even realize 
when they talk about discrimination now, they don't realize what the 50s and 60s were like. It was it was real, and I grew up among it, and and I just ignored it because basketball to me was a uh, had nothing to do with anything ethnic or racial, and and it was a great experience for me, and I'd say my game certainly benefited from it. You know, it's interesting you bring up Crenshaw High School because Crenshaw High School, Willie West, I believe, was the coach there for, you know, like 30 years or 40 years. That might have been the guy in the mid-60s that I was played, played at. Pretty sure it was, Super Dave, because they had a legacy of players that, that played, that competed there year after year, and they won the city championships year after year. I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Eric McCaskill, who played at Westchester High School, and they were rivals. But he said in the four years that he played basketball at Westchester, at all, every single level, even though Westchester was an excellent basketball school, they lost to Crenshaw and Willie West Every single level. So the freshmen, the JV, and varsity lost all their games for four years that he was in the Westchester program. And, you know, that might be a podcast of the future is to talk about really Crenshaw High School and their legacy of basketball excellence during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Well, I... I... It was a profound experience in my life, Jim, and I'm so proud that I had, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was just a sense that there was something, something amiss here, something wrong with my development, and, I, and, and nobody told me what to do or how to do this. It was just my own volition, and it was a great experience, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it to this day. Yes, and um, you know it's uh, that's a good segue into Randy. We miss you, and once again, this podcast is dedicated to you. So let's talk a little NBA Finals because they're heating up. And I want you to know I did my usual due diligence of torturing numbers, but when I get into it, before I get into that, what are your thoughts about these finals? Here's my thoughts, and, we, and now we're down to a three-game series, and it's going to be, uh, you know, razor edge on, on who, who comes out on top here. And one of the things you and I discussed for many of our, our episodes here in the podcast is the, the coaching difference, the, the youth of, uh, of Boston, uh, uh, Boston's coach uh, uh, versus uh, Steve Kerr, who's, who's a veteran of this. But I think uh, – Kerr might be getting out coach because I don't know if he's recognizing that that Dramon uh, Green is just not the same player that he's uh, uh, that he's developed there at Golden State and he's hurting the Celtics and uh, even though he Kerr benched him during a period of that last game I I I think that Green almost cost him the game Jim I think that that in spite and they're not playing uh, Jonathan Kaminga who's a a young player that would be ideal to, to mix into the rotation, but Kerr doesn't seem to be doing that. He seems to be letting Green out there when he cannot shoot. They're, they're, they're backing off on him. Uh, he He's not rebounding, Jim. He's not even 
uh, they're, they're getting beat on the boards, Golden State. And even though they won that game to, uh, impressively because of Stephon Curry, I think the Warriors now, if they don't make some adjustments here, are going to have a, a real trouble, you know, coming out on top in this series. Yeah, I think that it seems to me that Draymond Green is more focused on being an asshole and being disruptive and rather than being efficient offensively because his, you know, he led the team in rebounds and assists with Golden State during the regular season. And now he is not even near assists or rebounds because Wiggins is leading them in rebounds and Steph is leading them in assists. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's coming down to really is Steph is putting on such a historic and heroic performance. Just astounding. I mean, his numbers are almost unprecedented. 34 points a game. He is shooting 50% from the field and 49% from three-point land. I mean, the man is unstoppable. I mean, this he is having the best statistical finals that he has ever had at age 33 or 34. And, you know, the, going forward, I think the strategy of Boston – would be just to shut him down, make him pass the ball. Because, I mean, it's a lot easier said than done. But Super Dave, that I have rarely seen a better shooting display in the NBA Finals than I saw in Game 4. Well, it's not even just shooting, Jim. He had 10 rebounds in that last game. Oh, my and, God. And his floor presence, the, the way he gets those points – and he's overriding some of these issues that you and I are talking about on the Golden State side, uh, you know, and I think that's a, a kind of a, a false narrative that I, I think is going to is, is going to really hurt uh, Kerr if he doesn't come awake and see that he's got to make an adjustment in his rotation. Because Curry, like you said, I think if Boston focuses their defense on him, they're, uh, they're going to cause some real problems with the Warriors because – uh, as you said, Wiggins now is is one of the ones taking up the slack. You can still see that uh, Clay Thompson is not totally there yet. He he has glimpses of his of his shooting prowess, but there's other times when he goes cold, and he still has that a, a that tendency now to drift when he goes up for his shot and not going up straight. And I think that's causing a a little of his inaccuracy. But he he is playing better and better. But I don't know if it's it's very strange to see how well Curry's playing and how the rest of the team is is just kind of filling in. Yeah, you're right about that because first of all, statistically, uh, Clay Thompson is averaging his stats are the lowest in his NBA Finals career. Okay, he's only average. Well, I mean, he's averaging 17 points a game at 35 percent shooting from three point land which is lower than he normally does. And well, it's normally it's, it is also his rebounds are down. He's averaging about three rebounds and two assists. So he is clearly not the same player. And because Steph is getting some open looks that he wouldn't normally get because everybody's 
peeing on Steph. Also, their third leading scorer is Jordan Poole, and he's only shooting 31% from the three-point line. You know, he hit some timely ones, and he gets hot like he got hot in in game two and had some amazing plays. But nonetheless, this is, this is about Steph Curry. This is about a superstar stepping up to the rarefied air of dominating an NBA Finals game. And it really looks like, I mean, it's not a surprise to Boston that, you know, what he's doing and how he's doing it. I don't know if they can stop him, Super Dave. I just don't know. Well, there's a, there's a real sophistication in modern-day NBA defense with that pick-and-roll out front. And, and the, the dilemma is to go under the screen or over the screen. And, and then the NBA refs now are being uh, – they're really attentive to the offensive fouls there. And the, the, the picker has to be very still so he doesn't move and everything, get an offensive foul. So uh, – but, but what's happening with Curry's handles, the way he handles the ball so, so well, he just wreaks havoc with that as soon as – a. Uh, a, a pick goes out out front. It's it's really hard to determine where he's going to go, uh, and and all he needs, uh, just like uh, uh, Gail Sayers for the Bears, he says, "I just need 18 inches of daylight." <laughs> well, that's that's what Curry needs. It's just 18 inches of space to get that shot off, and it's it's phenomenal to watch. I you know. I worked on my shooting gym to, to, to the point of distraction. I probably neglected the rest of my game uh, just for, to, to for emphasize. So I love shooters, and I've never seen a better shooter than Stephon Curry. Never. It's not even close. He's the greatest I've ever seen. And I saw Rick Mount and uh, some of the great shooters of all time, uh, and I, I, it's just amazing what we're seeing on the floor. Oh, statistically, it's unprecedented. The only, you know, it would have been interesting, and I had to put, I had to get this in because I was doing some research today. And even though the Lakers are a pretty sad franchise right now, did you know that Super Dave, that four of the top five NBA final scorers of all times were Lakers? I didn't know that, but I, I certainly knew that Weston, uh, uh, and Baylor and, and Kareem are up there. Yeah, so that's interesting. West is number one. So he scored more points in NBA Finals games than anybody, including Michael Jordan, including LeBron James, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And keep in mind that Jerry didn't even have a three-point line. Nope. I mean, he, he would have had – and it's interesting, too, that had there been a three-point line at the time, Boston would have lost at least two of those series to L.A. because of the amount of shots that Jerry West took that were beyond the three-point line and how close those games were uh, every year. It seemed like that they're nail-biters as opposed to this series going on now, Super Dave, where the closest game has been 12 points. I think we have to. I think we have to fluff up the therapy couch for you, Jim. 
I think, well, I think those those ugly Laker memories are coming back to you in the middle of the night, and I think you you, you lurch up in bed thinking, "Oh no, Selfie hit that shot." Oh, they can't. Super Dave, they can't win it. Can't win their 18th and leave the Lakers behind with only 17 NBA championships. They just keep Golden State has got to win. <laughs> oh, I think I really opened up a can of worms here. Oh gosh. I will need a lobotomy. Yes. If they win. I mean, if if uh if Boston wins, because I just can't I can't take it. Well, I hope you know? Steve Kerr listens to this podcast because he's gotta do something to help Curry out. And 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 the rebounding, like I said, Dramond Green. Is, is not even rebounding like it's supposed to, and, and neither is Looney. I love, you know, we've talked about Kevon Looney, uh, and I really respect him and, and his defense and his and what he adds to the team, but even he is not rebounding like he, he should in there. And there's that's the equalizer for the Celtics. It seems like they're getting a, a lot of offensive rebounds that the, the Warriors should get, but Green and Looney, I don't think, are doing the job, and you can't really count much on Wiggins. Uh, to 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 pick up the rebounding slack, and that's why it was amazing. Curry got ten rebounds last game because that might have been part of the deciding factors. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Steph Curry is averaging over six rebounds a game, and you know Looney though, to his credit, has the biggest plus minus in the series. He's got a plus nine, and he's averaging seven points. Eight rebounds and and three and a half assists. The three and a half assists are what impress me, because uh, believe it or not, he's averaging almost the same amount of assists that Steph Curry is averaging. So the uh, you know statistically, there's some interesting things that I so I had a preconceived notion that in these series that the team that dominated the boards won the game. And that is not necessarily true. It was not true in the first two games, but it was true in the second two games. Because believe it or not, in game one, where Boston, you know, blew out the Golden State Warriors, they had the same amount of rebounds. Now in the last two games, and then in game two, Golden State was one rebound short of the Celtics when they won in San Francisco. Game three was a slaughter on the boards. So Celtics had 47 boards. Golden State Warriors had 31. And that flipped, amazingly enough, that flipped. In game four, Golden State had 55 rebounds compared to 42 for the Celtics. So the trend over the last couple of games is those who do the best rebounding are winning the game, Super Dave. Well, you know, I'm not even looking at the total rebounds necessarily, Jim. I'm looking at the the when the rebounds come. There's some key key points of these games, and, and we've talked about it uh, throughout these podcasts, that there's there's spurts. There's 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 a couple of key points in these games where one team blows out the other team, and a lot of that has to do with uh, number one turnovers, but number two the key rebounds that that are taken at, at key times, and it doesn't always 
uh, show up in the cumulative uh, uh, statistics. And one of the other problems I think with Kerr and his substitutions is when you have Green and Looney on the floor at the same time for the Warriors, okay, that's their best rebounding unit, but they, those are two guys that will not look for their shots. So now you're, you're relegated to the other three guys for the shots, and the Celtics being the smart and, and outstanding defensive team that they are, are taking advantage of that. They're just letting Green go. They're letting Looney go outside. And, and Looney just drifts uh, too far away from the basket, I think. You know, and he when he gets the ball at the free throw line expended, extended, Jim, he just he just kicks it to somebody else, and he's he's absolutely worthless out there at that time. You got to have him cut into the hole, and and Green has to be more aggressive if he's going to be on the floor. I'm just I'm just questioning Kerr and how he's playing with these statistics that you're identifying, Jim. You've got to make adjustments uh, when you're getting hurt in certain areas, and I just think. Uh, the incredible role that Curry's on is, is making up for some of these deficiencies. There's no question about it. Because what you have, what you're describing there is when Looney and Green are on the court together, you could have Rob Williams can guard them both at the same yeah. time. So what you yeah, have and, is- You know, and he guards them both and he protects the rim too. He does. And he's got a plus minus of five. So he's he's got the biggest plus. Well, Pritchard's got the biggest plus minus. But he's a lot in blowout time. Where where Williams, Rob Williams, is the biggest plus minus for the Celtics. And he is doing a stellar job of defense. I have to tell you, if he were healthy, this series would be 3-1 Celtics right now. Oh, totally. Totally agree. Great observation, Jim, because he's he's playing at an incredible level. And you, t- I, and like I said, I am very sensitive to knee issues, and he is he is struggling, but still making up for it with just uh, his, his intensity uh, and, and playing brilliant, brilliant defense. And then when you take a look at the other weapons that Boston has, uh, you know, if Williams doesn't, you know, takes the same role that Green and Looney does, he doesn't look for the basket unless he's close in but Horford gets hot at times and 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 smart does and then with Brown and Tatum they've got they've got four weapons out there uh, and it's it's going against uh, three weapons on the Warriors usually yeah it, so what you got yeah what you got is a situation where you know when you put you know uh, green and Looney on the court, you can have four guys guarding the wing and and guarding the three shooters that are out there. So there's just, you know, when you take a look at that, it's a disproportionate amount of wing defenders versus wing shooters. Now, you're right, that's nullified to a degree because Steph Curry is otherworldly, you know, with his skill and his shooting. But you're right that, you know, Kerr, who should be really, he's he's coached in what four finals or five finals. Oh, he yeah. should be by far the most experienced, and I don't think he's using Otto Porter well enough. I don't think he's using Kamingo. It's not playing at all, and that guy is explosive. And he had some really good series 
uh, you know, in the conference finals against Memphis, that guy did amazing things. He had 18 in the deciding game. He had 18 points in 18 minutes on the road in Memphis to sew up the series. And he's explosive and smart. He's got fresh legs. I don't understand it. I don't understand why they're not playing him. Well, and then what about uh, uh, Belichica? Uh, what what is Kerr doing with him all of a sudden? Putting him on the floor. Uh, you know, I like him as a ball player. I think he's a an outstanding. He's got he's got size, but he hasn't been in the rotation, and all of a sudden. Uh, you know, uh, Kerr's slipping him in there with Porter, and I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get what he's doing with his, uh, his rotation. Yeah, he. So that guy clearly does not look comfortable out there. No, he's he's, good... he's not, and it's only because he he hasn't played much. But he's he's a hell of a ball player. But Kerr just seems to be going on whims here on who to put in it, and he's just not recognizing that Dramond Green is not the Dramond Green we've known for the. The last 10 years he's not and he's and he's not going to be he's not showing any development here like there's going to be a change all of a sudden in the playoffs he, he is he is going downhill faster than any player i can remember and it's not injury related yeah it's not and he's so you know it seems like he's so preoccupied about making a scene and disrupting things emotionally as opposed to being offensively efficient which I said earlier, and also Kaminga and Moody is a really good player. And the thing is, now here's the thing about Bella Juca. What's the guy's name that you mentioned? Bella, Bella Chica. I, I don't know. I have a hard time. Bella, Bella Chica, yeah. Now he is, he looks lost out there and he looks disoriented and he is not athletic. Now, when you have Moody and Kaminga out there, they may be a little disoriented and they may be a little bit, you know, lost, but they're athletic and they can make things happen through effort. And I just like, I'd like to see those guys get some, get some minutes and Otto Porter's that was a disaster. Not starting, you know, um, you know, uh, not starting Otto Porter. Yeah, starting Otto Porter last game. I mean, the guy was just, he's used to coming off the bench and he too looked disoriented starting Super Dave. Well, yeah, that see, that's what I'm saying about Kerr. And all of a sudden, I mean, uh, don't be surprised if you see uh, Iguodala pop into the lineup. But but Jonathan Kaminga is an incredible, you're going to see him develop as a as a real star next year. And I think it's going to, it's going to focus on, on the deficiency of what Kerr is doing now uh, because he's, he's got a weapon there that he's got sitting next to him on the bench. I, I don't understand uh, the, the, the mentality of Kerr. And with three games left, Jim, uh, these, these things are not minor issues. You, you're going to have to make the right substitutions, the right mix, because like we said, at any point, one of these teams is good enough to blow the other one out of the water. And I just think with, with, uh, the substitution pattern that I'm watching Kerr, I, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, I just I don't I don't think he's utilizing his bench properly. And I understand you shorten your bench during during the playoffs, but you have some explosive athletes 
it can, I mean, part of the reason that Boston's in this series is because they're bigger and they have better athletes. Right? And the reason that it's tied up from Golden State's time is, is the fact that Steph Curry is having an un, almost an unprecedented series. 34 points, 50 point, 50% from three-point land. I mean, I don't know if he can sustain that. He has got to be absolutely stellar. He has got to be otherworldly for them to win two of the next three games. Whereas if you put some athletic people that can compete, I mean, if Brown gets hot, you better bring somebody off the bench who's fresh that can keep up with him because Clay can't, right? And- well, that's, that's where Gary Payton comes in as another option for Kerr. Because defensively, uh, he can he can give Brown a lot of trouble. He can, he can, and I think we need to, you know if we're going to talk about Golden State, we need to give a shout out to Andrew Wiggins, who has really really stepped up, and he's doing a really good job. I mean, he's averaging over fifty percent shooting, almost seventeen points a game. Eight and a half rebounds. He's averaging over a block and a steal a game. I mean, he is really stepped up. And to me, he's the number two now in the Golden State lineup versus Clay. Now, Clay is not terrible. He's averaging 17.3 on 35% shooting. Uh, but I just don't see his defense like he used to be, or his passing doesn't seem as crisp and he you know i think he needs another year to get his legs under him what do you think very keen observation because uh those were part of his games that was really actually good he he's an outstanding defensive player and you're right i i don't see that same kind of lockdown ability that he used to have and uh and yeah and he's a smart uh, as all or most of the warriors in terms of ball distribution and ball movement and it, 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 he's just not there yet. I'd say Clay Thompson is maybe 83% of what he normally is. Maybe that. And back to Wiggins, there is Mr. Consistency. Boy, game after game, quarter after quarter, that's the guy the Warriors can, can count on and get a consistent effort out. Everything on hustle, on rebounding, on shooting, uh, defense, he's just – he's not exceptional in, in any area, but, but he's really good at all areas. It's a, he's really a, 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 a key to, I think the, the Warriors, you know, pulling this thing out, but I just, I'm just really curious to say, and just think Jim, here we are talking as, you know, as, as a layman, uh, you know, we're not basketball coaches or anything, but you can, just, I, you could be absolutely sure the Boston Celtics are, are, are plotting on how to stop Stephon Curry. Well, I mean, that's the whole key to the game. Uh, you know, I mean, he, 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 it's just if you, can, if you can have him become a human, right, as opposed to this alien, godlike shooter that he is, I mean, I don't want to denigrate religion or anything like that, and I apologize for people, you know, who are very religious who are listening to this podcast. But this is like an alien coming down from somewhere who's built for basketball, who is doing incredible things with not only his shooting, but his skill. I mean, 
he is getting he is hitting bank shots off the top of the backboard. And if he gets just it's like runners and pull up jumpers from mid range shooting from the logo, you know, I you know, they're they're plotting on how to what to do. I mean, I would force him to give up the ball if that's possible. Well, like I said, they're, I don't know how they're going to play it, but they are going to design something that the Warriors haven't seen because they know that they lost that last game solely because of the efforts of, of Curry. And so there's ways, and uh, as the number one scoring defensive team in the NBA, the Celtics uh, are going to come out ready for bear. Another player uh, on the Celtics side that we should mention that's kind of the the counterpart of Wiggins is is Derek White. That guy has been a consistent performer for the Celtics that really adds a, a, an extra dimension to, to Brown and uh, Tatum when they're not on their game or smart. No question about it. And, you know, he was instrument. He's consistent, okay, in the games where Golden State won. He played tough defense. He's hanging all over Steph Curry. He's doing what he can. But I'll tell you what, he is one of the key figures in the blowouts. Because in the blowouts where Celtics have won, he has had unbelievable stats and shooting percentage from three-point land in the wins. And once again, in the losses, he's been consistent and he's contributed. But in the wins, he's been instrumental. And that kind of makes up for Tatum because Tatum's Tatum, and this is once again is a testimonial to to Andrew Wiggins and his defense. Tatum's stats are below his season average in just about every single statistical category, except for assists. He's leading the league. I'm sorry, leading the the finals in assists at 7.8. But um, yes, he, he is doing, yes, Derek White has just been explosive and consistent. And, you know, he steps up in the blowouts and Horford steps up in the blowouts too in the, in the wins. So it's interesting that, you know, the role players are the ones that turn the tide I think for Boston in the wins in Golden State, it's the superstar Steph Curry that changes the profile and the results of the game when the Golden State Warriors win. Well, you use the same word with uh, White as we did with Wiggins. Consist, consistent. Those are the the two consistent. Uh, pieces of the puzzle for each team. But we, we have neglected to talk a little bit about, we've been uh, focusing a lot on Curry for the Warriors, but Jason Tatum, uh, you know, and towards the end of the season, what I saw there, the development of a of a true superstar is, is pretty remarkable. And I think uh, what you're seeing on the statistical de- uh, deficiencies of Tatum right now are uh, a direct result of Kerr and his staff probably doing a lot with their defense, which, you know, they're the, they're, we're looking at the two top defensive teams in the NBA here and don't underestimate what the Warriors can do to distract and to, to uh, disrupt the offense of the Celtics. And that's why you're not seeing Tatum. But I think 
he's such a smart player that he's he's giving what the Warriors take. Uh, 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 he's taking what the Warriors are allowing him to to get to, and I think it's a it's a testimony to his team spirit and the coaching of the Celtics because uh, it's it's a matter of what is Brown going to be hot? Is Tatum going to be hot? Uh, what's Marcus Smart going to do as far as his contribution? And like you said, Horford is there. If you if you uh, focus on the other guys, Horford's gonna gonna nail you on the outside, and then White and and Grant Williams is a talk about consistent. He's the the height of inconsistency. Yeah, he can get hot or he can disappear, but Grant Williams is another piece of the puzzle. And when Pritchard comes in, he gives the Celtics a, a, another added boost when he gets going. So there's some really fun things about this series, Jim, that we're we're taking advantage of not only with our, our enjoyment as fans, but with the podcast here. And I just really encourage people to, to have another look at, at the NBA playoffs and how, how fun they can be when you analyze them like we do, Jim. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I've heard that, you know, that Tatum's numbers are down and he's not doing that well. And he's only an all-star. He's not a superstar. He, this is an interesting stat. Okay. His deficiency is summed up in one aspect of his game right now, and that is two-point shooting. His three-point shooting percentage is 45%, which is stellar. That's outstanding. But his overall shooting percentage is only 34%. So that means he is stinking it up from two-point land and that is because of the defense collapsing on him by Golden State. You talk about Golden State's defense with, you know, with Wiggins and I'm sure Clay's helping. But the only deficiency he has is his, is his two-point shooting. His assists, you know, he's almost got eight assists. He's got three turnovers a game. And you're going to have that kind of – turnovers when you're handling the ball that much so really he's only got one deficiency and that's his two-point shooting super dave other than that and his overall is over he's averaging 22.3 where he's usually averages about 26 so he's down a little more but his overall offensive efficiency because of his assists is about where it would normally be during the season well, let me get into some inside baseball, if you were. I know this is basketball, but this is kind of the minutia of the game. And, and you have to understand that uh, when you played the game, I think what you're seeing, and, and this is just my opinion, is Tatum uh, is not finishing at the hoop as well as he did during the regular season. And, and that might be because of the Warriors collapsing, like you said, defensively on him. Because if you notice one thing about Steph Curry is he is one of the great finishers at the rim for a, for a small, uh, re- relatively small guard because he, he uses just the right amount of float and spin and either hand. And t- I've noticed Tatum coming up short on some of his finishing moves when he breaks into the lane uh, that, that is normally part of his strength as far as his two-point uh, percentage goes. And I've seen, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving is one of the greats at it because he just has that that finesse off the board and around the rim. And Tatum normally has it, but I, I see something 
in this series, Jim, that doesn't seem to be up to the standards I saw during the regular season? You know, Super Dave, that's an astute observation, especially considering that Golden State, for the most part, does not have a rim protector. And you would think these point-blank shots that he's been missing offensive rebound, off offensive rebounds are going to the hoop, which he's been consistently missing, are not a function of a shot blocker intimidating him. He's yeah, just missing his shots. The, 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 what's going on, you, you come up with brilliant words all the time, Jim, that, that seriously, that, that are they're very instructive. You, you use the word collapse on the defense, and that's what's happening. I think it's the collective defense of the Warriors and the collapsing, not the normal rim protector that's causing the problem with Tatum. Because once he gets by that first guard out front, and you know he's got the handles and the moves to do that, it's what the defense, how they adjust at that point. And that's why his assists are still up, because when they do collapse, when they do kind of tuck in that middle, he kicks it out to the corners, which is smart on his part. But it's it's really the, I think, the determining factor why his his two-point shooting percentage isn't as good is because of the collapsing defense of the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is really an interesting phenomena that the Golden State Warriors defense could keep a superstar like, uh, like Tatum down in terms of his shooting from – from two-point land, you know, and that his three-point shooting percentage would far exceed his overall shooting percentage. So it's just, it's, it's just amazing. It is. And, and it, it, I just think the thing we do best here, Jim, on our podcast is to, to have a, a way to look at the game of basketball that I don't think the average fan takes the time to do and i think it'll add to their enjoyment and uh we're we we are trying to get uh, a, a a little bit of distribution here not for our own sakes but i i really want to have people share in our enjoyment of nba basketball because everybody loves march madness college ball and but they think the 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 nba season is way too long but when you get to the playoffs there's some there's some nuances here it's it's like we're watching a, a, a master chess match here because that's the kind of adjustments that happen in the NBA playoffs that don't happen during the regular season. They don't happen in baseball uh, during the regular season either. And you, you can appreciate the finer points of all these major sports when you focus in on just a few games. And we only have three left in the pro basketball season, Jim. Well said, Super Dave. So, it is truly an amazing thing that these players are competing now for the basketball fan and for players. It is pride in history right now. And it's all on the line. And how exciting is it to do? So I got a couple of questions for you here. Shoot them at me. Is there going to be a close game? Well, that's a, that's a very good question because, you know, normally – Normally, when I sit down to enjoy NBA basketball, I expect a close game, you know, probably 85% of the time. But we're under 50%, Bauer, 40%. I don't know, Jim. I, 
I, I actually don't think so. I, there's just something about the the modern game, the the three point shot, the the spurt uh, uh, tendencies of this particular series. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see one. I, I, I th- that's something I would desire. I'll tell you that. I would love to see a nail biter. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen, and the reason being is because the the role players are are driving the results, especially for Boston. I mean, when you get Horford hitting nine and 12 three-point shots, I mean, seriously, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, you know, you get, you get Derek White, he gets hot. You get, get uh, Jalen Brown. What did he – he had – 18 points in like one quarter in the first quarter. Oh, when Jalen Brown goes off, it's scary. That guy, boy, he he might be as hot as anybody on the floor at times. It's it's also the Golden State, you know, from from the from the Boston standpoint, the role players run wild. I don't know if you want to call Jalen Brown a role player, but you know the others, you know the others, you know Marcus Smart and. The other players, Derek White, Al Horford, they get they get moving, they get hot, and it blows out the the Warriors. On the Warriors side, they start playing downhill, and you can't keep up with them with the three point shot. Everybody gets hot, you know. They become explosive. Steph Curry is just, you know, one of the best players in the history of the game. And he's cementing that legacy in this series right now. I don't think we're going to get a close game. You know, you and I knew a, a player with those kind of uh, traits, and that was Randy Larson. When when Randy Larson at six five would get hot, he was unstoppable. No question. No question about it. I used to ha- hate guarding him. Oh. And- it was he was a nightmare to guard nightmare it was and, and from all angles and i'm telling you he would light it up like uh, I, nobody i can remember in in, in our uh, amateur basketball as, as as randy larson was and that, that you know there's so many things about randy that we remember but when you brought up that that issue Jim, I just couldn't help but think of Randy again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like we were we were talking one day. We were having a, a libation, and I said, "Randy, you are the, probably the best shooter I've ever played with. Why is this? Why are you such a good shooter?" And he said, "You know, Jim, the room rim never moves. It's always there." <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, he goes. It's, Rim never moves. I, I mean, never you know, thought of that. He goes, it would be much more challenging for me if they, if, if like on every shot the rim was moving and I had to hit a moving target. Another so, testimony to his genius, Jim, and his and his jocularity too. <laughs> yeah, his sense of humor. That's right. There, there's so many elements to Randy that that we so appreciate, and uh, and what a way to, to to pay tribute to him through these podcasts and and to focus on basketball, but yeah, we're, it is actually a treat though, what we're seeing now uh, in the NBA, because the, the, the level of talent is just off the charts. And I, I, and that might be another factor in the blowouts, Jim, is that, that the talent level 
and it goes it goes six seven deep on these squads. Uh, guys that come on the floor that are off the bench are are exceptional talents too. When when any combination of those gets hot and it leads to one side, I think uh, the the three point shot. You know, you you you've seen six or seven of them go down in a row. That 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 changes a game from a three point game to a fourteen point game. It does. It just happens in a blink. And you know the you know it just you know when you when you watch Golden State and they start hitting the threes and they pick up momentum, I mean they're almost impossible to stop that momentum. It's contagious, and all the players get it. And so they're going to roll, and then Boston's going to roll too, with with Tatum as a distributor, and all the role players getting hot. So I don't see we're going to see a close game. Super Dave, what do you think is going to happen? It's a three-game series. Tell me what's going to happen. Well, you know, is, uh, the tendency always is to stick with our our original predictions, and I predicted. Uh, you know, months ago that I just, I saw Golden State possibly emerging. And for a lot of the reasons we've discussed over the weeks and months, uh, it, it, it looks like that's possible. But what I'm seeing in the last couple of games from Kerr and what I'm seeing from and not seeing from Dramond Green, I'm I'm starting to lean towards Boston. I know that's a, 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 a consternation for you, Jim, and uh, – and all your your Laker history uh, to, to see that the Celtics would have another trophy on their trophy case, but I don't know if Kerr doesn't make a, a profound change in how he handles that front line. Uh, I, I I I got a feeling that that Boston could come out on top of this. Yeah, I like Boston tonight. I mean, you know, if you look at it historically, playoffs. Boston has not lost two games in a row. And they come out more focused. They pound the boards. They pound the boards. I like Boston to win it all. I like Boston to win tonight. They finish it up in Boston. So I'm predicting in the next two games, Boston wins the series. Well, we're on the same page again. And it's kind of interesting. I think Golden State is... 10 and one at home in the playoffs and Boston is eight and three on the road in the playoffs. So there's not much, uh, you know, precedent here. That's going to lean either way. Uh, in my former role as a professional handicapper, I definitely would uh, take the points tonight uh, with the Celtics, but uh, the next two games will be telling. And I, uh, you know, I could change my mind, Jim, after I see the game tonight. But right now, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I'm just leaning towards Boston because I, I don't see Kerr understanding what what issues he's dealing with, and and I think it's because you're when you're that close to a team, Jim, and you you know these guys for their career and 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 practice every day, you respect a guy like Jermon Green as a player. And like you mentioned early in the podcast, uh, as a person, he's kind of uh, problematic as far as his, as, as his off the uh, court and his, his demonstrations on the court can be. But uh, I, I think Kerr has got to wake up here for the, uh, the Warriors to finish this off. It still could happen. 
because he, I, he, he is a smart man and a great coach. But so far, I've seen a, a slip with him. And I think uh, Boca, the, the, the coach of uh, uh, the Celtics, is, is growing uh, with each game in the playoffs. I'm, I really respect that man as a coach. And uh, he's doing wonders with the Celtics. Well, I agree with you, Super Dave. And is there anything you'd like to say in, sub, in, uh, in summation? Well, the thing I'd like to sum up with, Jim, is how, how fun it is to work with you, how astute you are as, a, as not just a observer of the, the, the game of pro basketball, but you know we've talked histories and other things. And I look forward to future podcasts with you, Jim, because I think we have a, a, a rather unique rapport here uh, in that we, we think a lot alike, but we have our own opinions and come from different directions, which I think gives a, a, a really a rich tapestry to the whole, whole show. And uh, I look forward to future podcasts with you, Jim. Well, and we're going to have to do one later in the week to update our, uh, our NBA finals here, Super I'll, Day. I'll be ready. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast, the Super Dave and Jim Show. And Super Dave, uh, we'll be talking to you soon. And I know you have a little medical procedure today. Good luck with that. We love you. Same here, Jim. And until we meet again, may God hold you in his hand. (laughs) Thank you, Super Dave. Bye. Bye.